0: All right, we welcome you all back. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 today. Matthew chapter 5, we've been going through um, some of the key teachings of Jesus in the book of Matthew and a Sermon on the Mount. So this will probably be the one of the last messages and then we're going to jump into something else. So, um, So it's good to have you here today. Amen. You're all looking good. Looking good, and uh, we survived winter this week. Um, (laughs) We really haven't had much winter, have we? Um, So it looks like it's going to be a beautiful week this week. Amen. Well, hey, um, Matthew chapter 5, chapters 5 through 7 are the Sermon on the Mount, so we're going to be in chapter 5. Pastor Andy did a two-part series on the Beatitudes, all right? So that is the first part, um, the first section that Jesus hits on the Sermon on the Mount. It's on a hillside, um, I believe overlooking the Sea of Galilee, so up north. And uh, he gives a message, and he talks about the Beatitudes. So that's where we're going to begin, and then uh, dive into a few things. But there's a couple predominant theories today, and I'd say one predominant theory in the church growth world today. And that is, if you're going to grow your church, you have to attract people. Okay, and you attract people. Uh, to attend a given church, and you do that by making attractive buildings, uh, attractive worship, you make your programs attractive, and it it, it works. Why? Because we live in a consumer-based society, don't we, right? And where you buy your groceries, your clothes, your other things, a lot of it has to do with your consumer experience. And so when people look at churches, they somewhat do the same thing, don't we, right? Do they have comfortable seats? What does it look like when people come in to the building? Do they welcome me when they come in the building, right? Um, Do they shake my hand, right? Um, So some of those things, right? So there is that part of, uh, you hear a lot of that with um, um, church growth, and a lot of it even has to do with media. So even just with our Facebook stream and uh, some of those things, the techie side of things has a lot to do with it, especially in our culture and age. There's another model that we see in Scripture, though, and it's found in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Some of you probably have it memorized. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Behold, I'll be with you to the very end of the age, right? So instead of inviting people, Jesus is saying, hey, church, go from here out to there and reach people. You see the difference there? One model says, hey, just bring them all in here. The other model says, go from here out to there and reach them, all right? Um, Go into the marketplace, the schools, the workplaces, share Christ without the hope of Christ, those without the hope of Christ. There we go. You know, I I sometimes joke that I do a lot of my visitation where? At Walmart, yeah. There's some days I see three, four of you there and other people uh, I connect with. So which theory is correct, Which theory is the most effective? What is God calling us to do as a church and the church? And so to study this more, I want us to look at Matthew chapter 5. We're actually going to go back and hit the Beatitudes because the passage on salt and light in 13 through 16 builds off of these Beatitudes, okay? All right, so that's why we're going to go back and catch that. Pastor Randy did a wonderful job on sharing those, and so if you missed those, I'd encourage you to go back and catch those. Um, just on the YouTube channel there and uh, through the links that we send out. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day, dear God. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you and to study your word. And so, Lord, right now we just invite your Holy Spirit to make your word come alive to us and speak to us, Lord. May it not just be words on a page or may it not just be my voice, Lord, but may it be your Spirit speaking uh, here today to our hearts give his ears to hear and eyes to see what you are saying to your church. And everybody said, Amen. All right, let's begin with verse 3. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So those that are dependent upon God, that have that dependency and seek upon God for salvation and for life itself. Verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Those that feel sad and Uh, mournful over their sin. All right? We call that conviction. If you feel convicted over your sin, you will be comforted by the grace of God. Blessed are the meek, the strong, but they're gentle, they're self-controlled, for they will inherit the earth. They display courage. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I think that one speaks for itself. Blessed are are the merciful, because you will be shown mercy. So when we extend compassion, you will be shown compassion. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So those who live in a right way before God, they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, those that uh, work towards reconciliation in our world, right? For they will be called the children of God. I I found it kind of interesting. So in this Ukraine thing, the the country that has come to the surface as possibly a mediator is the country of Israel. Yeah, who had that? Uh, Sarah? All right, Israel. Kind of interesting, folks. I don't know. Um, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All right, so Jesus isn't sugarcoating it here. He said, you know what? There might be some trials along the way. Blessed are you when you are... Um, Insult you, because, and they persecute, and they falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Now that seems a little bit contradictory, doesn't it? Right? Why do we rejoice and be glad? Not because of the suffering, but because great is our reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Verse 13. But you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. We do that every winter, right? We throw that rock salt out on the ground to melt the ice. You are the light of the world. A town, on a, um, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they place it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Think of the days before electricity, right? Where a lamp, whether it was oil or wax, would provide the light you needed at night. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen? So let's jump into this together. Verse 13 says, You are the salt of the earth. All right. How many like salt? I do. All right, I probably eat too much. Now, salt has two common characteristics, right, that it is noted for. There's probably a lot of different ones, but two primary ones when we think of it in this context. First of all, it adds flavor to food, right? Second of all, it preserves things, right? And so cured meats and things like that, you put salt in it and it preserves it. Now, in the modern day of refrigeration, we take that highly for granted, But if you were one of the settlers that was coming across this territory from the east to go west along the Platte River, most likely you had ham or something like that that was cured with salt so that they could make the trip. And it wasn't refrigerated. It was preserved through the salt. All right? So first of all, I want us to look at the flavor aspect of salt. It's a key ingredient in our diets. It adds flavor to our food. Most of us probably have way too much salt, okay? Um, but it is key to a healthy diet. You you shouldn't have a diet without salt. We need it to some extent. So it's on our sunflower seeds, our chips, um, and it's in most of the prepared foods that we buy, isn't it, if you look at the ingredients. Salt just makes food taste better, doesn't it? It just does. Um, it also creates a desire to eat more right can you just stop at one potato chip I mean if you if you can do that I can't you know you know salted nuts I mean you can't just stop with one handful right you have to have more right Um, it's because of the salt in a similar fashion when our lives are sprinkled with the characteristics of the Beatitudes our lives are salty And they add flavor to the world around us. Are you following what Jesus is saying there? That when we have those attributes, those characteristics blended, grace, mercy, love, compassion, that adds flavor to our life as a believer. And people say, you know what? I like what they have. I want to be around them more. It's like there's a craving there for what you have in your life. Are you following me? You become irresistible to the world around you. They sense compassion, self-control, character, love, peace, and humility, and they desire it in their lives. So the first principle is that I see is to be attractive by living the Beatitudes. Be attractive by living the Beatitudes in your own life. Display those qualities. Jesus wasn't just throwing those out there just as, hey, you know what? If you want to follow these, maybe, maybe not. It's a good idea. He's saying, hey, these are some of the core things of the kingdom of heaven, and of the people of God. And they should be part of your life. In the early church, and by the meaning early church, I mean the first 200 years of the early church. So Jesus is on the earth, 33 A.D. He's crucified. The church begins to grow. We see the book of Acts. So that's what Denise is studying there. And as you see it, the the kingdom of God grow from Jerusalem to Samaria to Judea and to Rome to the ends of the earth, right? We see that in the book of Acts. It spread out. But in those first 200 years, their numbers were small. They did not possess military power or political power, okay? And they were lived in a culture, in a world where it was dominated by the Romans. They were the military power. There's a lot of similarities here, folks, just what we see being lived out on our news right now with Russia being this dominant power coming into Ukraine. I mean, There's, there's a lot of similarities there. So they, they lacked all those things. They did not have nice buildings to meet in. In fact, they would probably w- meet in homes where um, uh, maybe a, somebody that was a little more well-off that had a bigger home, that's where they would choose to meet. You see that in the book of Acts. And so that is the, the environment that the church begins So they didn't have a lot of the things that we do today, and yet the church grew by leaps and bounds, right? You read in the book of Acts, and you see they grow from 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. Next thing you know, they're at 5,000, and it says that the Lord was adding to their number daily. They didn't have lights. They didn't have a projector screen. They didn't have smoke. They probably didn't have a drum and a worship team. They probably had music. You following me? They didn't have a building probably even the size of us, but the church grew. Why? Because they lived a life that had the beatitudes within there. There was some salt that was being added to their lives, and it made others think hey what's 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 the difference with these Christians So a letter that was written in one thirty a d Okay, this would still be considered the early church, written by a governing authority. He says, Christians model fidelity. So fidelity means you keep your vow between the husband and the wife. Okay? There's truthfulness. They have contentment. They re- have respect of parents. They love their neighbors. They, there's purity. There's patience in the face of persecution. They show kindness to strangers. They care for widows and orphans. Likewise, they also serve the poor and often sacrificially. And some of those early Christians, they would they would fast two to three days a week. Why? So that the money that they save by not buying food, those two to three days they would give to help out the poor. That's giving to the poor at a whole different level, isn't it? Because usually we give out of our abundance. They were giving out of probably sometimes their need. Um, but it was through their witness... And the salt in their life, the people from all levels of society would come to know Christ. From, you know, predominant, you'll see that in the book of Acts, predominant citizens would come to know Christ. People in the Roman government would come to know Christ. People in the prisons came to know Christ. From all different levels, they said, you know what, I want what they want because there's kindness, or self-control there. They have something I don't have. And so the church grew. You following me? They lived out the Beatitudes And as they did, it attracted others to follow Christ. So the passage we read earlier that Victor read says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open the door for our message that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Where's Paul at when he's writing this? He's in prison. That's a great place to be to share your faith, right? He had a captive audience. He had soldiers that were keeping him guard. They couldn't go anywhere. He could share Christ with them night and day. And he did. And the gospel went forth and he says, "Um, pray that I may proclaim it as I should and be wise in how you act towards outsiders and make the most of opportunity. Let your conversation always be seasoned with salt. Not literally, but in a figuratively way so that you may be able to give the answer to anyone who asks you. Amen? Um, Be attractive by living the Beatitudes. The result will be that friends, family, co-workers, fellow students, neighbors will find Christ and the hope of salvation. Amen? Verse 13 also says, so you are the salt of the earth, so it adds flavor, but it also salt also preserves. So Pure salt doesn't lose its characteristics, but say like salt that was dug from the banks of the Dead Sea, okay, which is probably where some of the people got it in the days of Israel, okay, back in that time. Um, the Dead Sea is, is one of the few lakes that is not fresh water. It it's, has a huge salt content, okay? and so they would dig salt from the banks. So that that was impure salt. It would have to be purified before it, it would be have a good shelf life and be stable. But salt is harvested in three basic ways. I don't want to go into a lot of this, but it's mined from the earth, okay? So it could be taken like from the banks of the of the Dead Sea and stuff like that. So there's actually salt reservoirs or reserves in the earth that they can dig it up from. Now, that's usually not very pure salt, and often that's called rock salt. So we use rock salt for our driveways and sidewalks. We use it to make what? Ice cream, yes. And so, but it's it's not in that raw form. It is not good. You can't consume it, okay, to eat it. Secondly, salt is also harvested through flooding large areas, uh, flat areas with salt water. So when I was in the Bahamas on the small island of Exuma, they had these big flats and they would flood it with salt water and then they would dam it up. And then that salt, that water would evaporor- evaporate and then you would be left with the salt deposits and they would harvest that. And so um, that is uh, one way that um, salt is harvested for consumption. A final way is that um, salt is harvested through pumping water into the earth to where the salt reservoirs are at, these reserves underneath the earth. So they pump water in there and they pump out the brine. And then, of course, then the water is taken out and sometimes it's even purified through some chemicals. And that is where we get most of our table salt is from um, that process. So salt can be purified in a three different ways as well, by adding chemicals, through recrystallization, so they um, you evaporate the water out, and then you have the salt. And it can be also cleaned through washing, a process that way. But pure salt is essential to our way of life, isn't it? It adds flavor to our food, but it also has those preserving qualities that we use. So how many had bacon this week? I have bacon this week? All right, yeah. Right, we have one of the biggest bacon-producing places in our nation, right south of us, Right. They make a lot of bacon, but it's preserved, right? Through that salt. Uh lunch meat and all those different things, they have that quality for it. I make jerky, so jerky has a lot of salt in it, right? And uh that's what's used. You can you can leave it on the shelf and it you don't have to refrigerate it. Once it's dried out, it's it's good. You can keep it there. Um and so that's what you know when settlers passed through here, they would have meat that was cured that was salted. As salt preserves. So we as believers add that same quality to the world and our culture around us. How's that? Our presence protects to some degree our world and our cultures from sinking too deep into sin, decay, and rot. Our presence. Now, it's not always appreciated, right? But still, nonetheless, our presence in that way preserves our cultures, And we keep our world from so many times spiraling out of control without a gospel witness. And until Jesus returns, evil will be present in our world. So I don't want to skip over the point here. Number two is influence culture through a pure life. So we can influence culture, but it's only going to have a lasting effect if we live a pure life. All right? And um, as I mentioned, the early Christians that I mentioned earlier, they threatened the stability of Rome. And it wasn't, again, through the military power, their political power, but it was through their Christian witness, their humility, their love, their kindness, and compassion. Can you believe that? Why did it threaten them? Because Rome hated humility. They, they elevated pride. They, they didn't do a very good job of taking the poor and the prisoners and stuff like that, but the Christians did. And it began to... Threaten the Roman society. And that's why the Christians became under persecution. Is because the Romans didn't know what to do with these Christians. And they, didn't, they saw them as a threat. They just didn't know what to do with them. But through their preservation quality, the gospel spread. And, uh, and things weren't always bad. Things did improve. You know, under Constantine, Christianity then would become a state religion, which wasn't always good. wasn't always good so when I think about living a pure life in this quality I think of Daniel and the three Hebrew men right? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego I think about them why? because they were taken from their homeland the homeland of Israel and they were brought to Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar their countries overran and they're taken as captives they're encouraged to be part of the government they were sharp men they were brilliant men and they were incorporated into that government system. But in the process, the goal was to brainwash them. The goal was to instill in them values of Babylon, not their Christian values, their biblical values that had been placed within them. But if you, you barely get into the, the chapter 1 of Daniel, it says that Daniel refused to defile himself, right? He chose to not defile himself even just when it came to his diet and things like that. They they kept that line of purity. And by doing so, by showing courage, humility, and faithful presence, kings came to believe in the God of Israel. Think about that, folks. Daniel was elevated to a very high power and ruler in Babylon, a heathen nation, not through political prowlness, not by his military strength, or his wealth because of the presence of God that was in his life. Our faithful presence in our world has that preservation quality that I, keeps our world from spinning into chaos and immoral decay. Number three, let's re- look at verses 14 through 16. This is where Jesus says, he, so he s- switches from salt to light. You are the light of the world, right? Light provides illumination. And so um, whether in darkness or stormy weather, a light can provide direction, guidance. We know where to go. It provides illumination. So when we use it in a spiritual sense, it means that um, when we read Scripture, we need the Holy Spirit for illumination, right? So it's like you're reading your Bible in the dark. That wouldn't be very effective, right? But you take a light and you shine it upon it. Now I can see what I'm reading and understand it. That's what the Holy Spirit does to us. Before we know Christ and we have the Holy Spirit in our life, it's like reading the Bible in the dark. It's not going to make any sense to you. You're not going to be able to understand it. But when the Holy Spirit is in your life, He shines that light and it's kind of like, man, I've read this before, but all of a sudden now it starts clicking, right? It's kind of like it makes sense. That is the illuminating quality of the Holy Spirit. In the same way, you are the light of the world. You As you live your life before God, it's kind of like the light comes on for people and it's kind of like, oh, you know what, I've heard of Christians or I've heard maybe some scripture passages, but now I'm seeing it lived out in front of me and it's like the light comes on. It's kind of like, now, wow, I understand what it means to be a Christian. At least that's what they should see when they look at your life. Um, You know, Christianity and that Christian label can have a lot of different meanings. Um, but what Jesus is talking about, if we call ourselves a Christian, people should be able to look at our life and see Christ in our life. Um, All right. I have a literal translation of it. I'll catch up with it here. So before the days of GPS, how many have your phone, right? So there's a GPS in all these smartphones, right? Right? There is. So even though you don't have Wi-Fi coverage, Your GPS is still working because it bounces. It's not dependent on Wi-Fi. It's dependent on those satellites up in the sky, right? So you still have GPS. So you can still do your mapping thing as long as you load it where you have Wi-Fi or cell coverage. You can still go into places like West Virginia, we found out, that doesn't have any cell coverage in George Washington National Forest. You can still have a GPS, okay? And I've been in the Black Hills, the same thing. I can still use a map and have because the GPS is still working. It tells me where to go. Now, before the days of GPSs out in the ocean, they relied upon what? Lighthouses, right? So there's maybe one there. Yeah. Lighthouses, right? They were helped with navigation, but they also warned those that were traveling through those areas that there was dangers that were there to avoid, right? If it was all dark, they could run their ship aground, and it could be destroyed, and it could be lost. So the lighthouse was key. And you know they they're still they still dot the coastlines today but a lot of them are more like a museum thing, right? You go along the Great Lakes, you'll see them there. You go along our east uh eastern seaboard, you'll see them there. Um but they provided a very um important role back in the day. Today they use GPS, so they don't play as quite of a role. But back then they were vitally important. Um So a little translation of you are the light of the world would see that people can see the way to God because you are like a light for them. You like that? People should be able to see their way to God because you are like a light for them to see that shines a light. I don't think, sometimes we assume people know the way to God. But people are searching. I want a relationship with a God. I want to know the truth. Not just what people say is the truth. I want to know the truth. And so people should be able to look at your life and see the way to God. Amen? Because you are the light of the world. So the point number three is be distinct by letting Christ shine through your life. Be distinct by letting Christ shine through your life. I use that word distinct because God has called us to stand out. Okay? Not because we're weird. But Peter says we're a peculiar people, called out by his name. We are to stand out. We're to be in a lot of ways counterculture. We're not supposed to be like the world. He's called us out of darkness into his glorious light, right? We are to be different and distinct from the rest of the world. Uh, we should display kindness, love, compassion, courage, purity that make us distinct, distinct like a light that shines out to the rest of the world in a world that is dark. The goal is not to draw attention to ourselves, but rather to point others to who? Christ. So verse 16 says, In the same way let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify who? Your Father in heaven. So the disciple who is visibly different from other men will have an effect on them. But the aim of his good works is not to pervade his parade his virtue, but to direct attention to God. Who inspired them by doing so the disciple will give light to all. so when if you grew up in Sunday school, you maybe sang a song. anybody know what song it was? light of mine I'm gonna let it shine, right? How many sang that growing up in Sunday school class? What is it in Spanish Victor? did you sing it they sing it in Spanish? This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine yeah, yeah, okay, all right. And then, as, then it goes to verse 2. It says, hide it under a bushel. Oh, no, I'm going to let it shine, right? And, you know, that's obvious, right? If you have a light, you're not going to hide it. What keeps us from hiding that light within us? I think there's a couple of things, probably several. I think one of the big ones, fear. Fear. What are people going to think if I'm distinct? If I live a godly life, if I live a righteous light, what are others going to say? All right? And, um, you know, it might be just unwanted comments, but sometimes it even brings persecution. And so that's one of the c- concerns of my uh, cousin, is who's the missionary in Ukraine, is that if the Russians uh, are able to establish their dominance in Ukraine, um, they will shut down the churches that are meeting there, all right? the The born-again believers there. They will shut them down. So... There is that fear, right? I think fear keeps us from being the light that God has called us to be. I also think complacency can sometimes be an issue. We don't take our role seriously at times. Oh, you know what? If I don't shine, Karen will shine, right? Karen doesn't shine. Oh, Matthew and Anna will shine, Edwin, right? Somebody else is going to do it if I don't, right? complacency. We, we get so caught up in our busy lives that we forget that I'm to be the light of the world even in that busyness. It's not just something I add on to my life. It's to be our priority in life that overshadows everything else. You know, I just think back in the day of a lighthouse keeper. You know, those lighthouses had to have a lighthouse keeper, right? What if that lighthouse keeper says, eh, tonight I'm just going to take it easy. I'm not going to do my job. You know, lives could be lost, right, if they didn't do their job. Put that in the perspective of us being the light of the world. What if you decide, hey, I'm just not going to be a light of the world today at work, at school, as I go about my daily activities. I'm just going to put that God thing on the shelf. Next Sunday I'll be back, right? But this week I'm just going to put that out. i got too much other things to think about. You know what? if you set that aside, there might be somebody you were supposed to touch influence that week, that day. And lives could be lost because you are the light of the world. I am. We all are. Amen? He is the main light of the world, but his the purpose is that he shines his light through us. Amen? So I began with the question, which is better, having attractive buildings and services and all that, or living attractive lives? Which is better? Well, I would argue that what we've just covered is the most important. But I think it's not an either-or. I think it's a both-and. Because we do live in a consumer-based culture and society. But what I do say, I will say, is if we have nice buildings and we have all this attractive stuff, but if we don't have the salt and the light in our life, people are going to come in and they're just, it's going to be empty, right? It's going to be useless. And if I was to have one or the other, I'd want those qualities, of the Beatitudes, that salt and light in my life. To me, that has to be predominant in our lives. And um, as our church, we want to do things with excellence and stuff that people see but if they can't see the light of Christ in our life and we have that salt quality in our life that attracts others, then we've missed it. Amen? We do that by living attractive lives through living the Beatitudes, influencing our culture through a pure life, and letting the light of Christ shine in our life. You know, I think about Daniel. I want to close with him. Some musicians, if you can come. You know, hundreds, hundreds of years before Jesus would walk the earth, Daniel would be on the earth. He was taken as a prisoner to Israel. His country would be destroyed. He's taken away from his mother and his father, as well as all these other Hebrew men. And he lives under the dominance of King Nebuchadnezzar. And he was a dominant force back then, the dominant power in the world at that time, folks. I don't think he was a godly man by any stretch. He was, you know, there was a lot of religions. It was a heathen religion. But you know what? Daniel was not a warrior like King David. David was a warrior. That wasn't Daniel. He rather fought his battle on his knees, Daniel did, right? Daniel did not have a vast army like David and men that followed him. But rather, he had the angels of God that would surround him in a lion's den that was filled with hungry lions and protected him and shut the lion's mouth until he was rescued. And when King Nebuchadnezzar was perplexed by dreams that flooded his head at night, and nobody had the answer for what had been placed in his mind through God, Daniel came to the forefront and was able to interpret his dreams. And Nebuchadnezzar was not a perfect man. In fact, he even stood on a rooftop one day and says, you know what, I'm the greatest. All this is because of me, of who I am. I'm the greatest. And as he spoke those words, he, the prophecy of Daniel came to, to pass, and he turned into an animal. Feathers, fur, roamed the fields for many years. Until one day he looked up to heaven and declared God King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And God not only restored him physically, but he also restored him back to his kingdom. And in Daniel, you'll see how he declares the praises of God, saying that God is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And Daniel was able to influence one of the most powerful men of his time, not because of wealth, power, or anything else except for the presence of God in His life. What can God do through your life? Amen? What can God do through your life as you live out the Beatitudes in our salt and light? Amen. Would you stand this morning? I'm just going to lead us in a prayer of salvation. And I never want to assume that people have made that step that you've invited Christ into your life. And so we're going to pray that prayer. Nobody should leave this morning without knowing for sure beyond a shadow of doubt that your name is written in, in heaven and that you have the hope of Christ in your heart. And it begins with confessing with our mouth and believing in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what Scripture says. So let's pray that prayer together today. saying, Dear God, Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from all my unrighteousness. Be my Lord and my Savior and walk with me each and every day. In the name of Jesus we pray. And Lord God, I pray for each one of us here today. Lord God, I pray that Your Holy Spirit is speaking to our lives. We are the light of the world and we are the salt of the earth as believers in Christ. Most people that come to Christ are going to find it through the witness of one other person that You've placed in their pathway, Lord God. And if we fail to shine that light before men, lives will be lost. If we fail to be the salt of the earth, lives will be lost. There's people without the hope of Christ. And so, Lord God, free us from fear, free us from complacency. Lord God, let, us, let that be our focus. Let that be our goal our top priority as we live each and every day for you. God, let us surrender our life and give it completely to you. We give you the thanks. Hallelujah. Lord, this morning we just, uh, we thank you for this opportunity to worship together. uh, Before we leave, Lord God, it's, We just take a moment just to reflect upon our own lives. How bright is our light shining? And how salty is our life? Lord, sin and in living that doesn't reflect the beatitudes or that it's out of line with you is gonna it's gonna taint our witness. It's gonna cloud the light that comes from our life, and it's gonna taint flavor of our life, Lord God. And Lord God, let us just reflect, Lord God, if there's things in our life that are hindering the light of Christ in our life, you are more than faithful to cleanse us, to purify us, to wash us of all that. So that light shines bright. Lord God, give us a pure light. Create purity within us. Hallelujah, Lord God, we pray. And let us be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we give you the thanks. We give you the praise. We ask it in your name. Bless our fellowship that follows in our time together. We ask it in your precious and holy name. And everybody said, Amen. Praise God.